0: Welcome to episode 6 of ShimmyCast. I'm glad all of you listeners have come back for another episode. I'm your host, Anala Rabari. For this episode, we have the usual fare of answers to the question of the week and the news recap. We won't have a review again this week because we have a long article by yours truly entitled Nearly Everything You Need to Know About Swords. And this week's pod safe music is from the group Stella Mara. We have a lot of answers to the questions this week, so let's get started. First, Sheila, who's a new listener, is catching up on answering our questions of the week. She started with an answer to how did you get into belly dance. And she says, I was looking for a new form of exercise that I could do at home. Aerobics was causing me low back problems. In researching low impact aerobics DVDs on Amazon.com, I found there were virtually none. They were mainly videos, not DVDs. So I keyed exercise DVDs into Amazon's search engine. Belly dance DVDs came up frequently, and all the ratings and reviews were extremely positive. I had never thought of belly dance as a form of exercise before, and decided to give it a try. A few months later, a nearby belly dance studio called Jawahir caught my eye for the first time. I checked into it and registered for the winter session. That was about three years ago, and I've been hooked ever since. Then Sheila went on to tell us about what her favorite prop is and why. At first, I absolutely dreaded the finger symbols. I felt very clumsy with the ones provided by my dance studio because the elastic was always too loose. After I bought my own pair, which I could adjust to fit my fingers, I gradually became more comfortable with them. I think they add so much energy to the dance. It's awesome to make music and dance at the same time. And finally, Sheila answered how belly dance changed her life. Wow, what a fun question. I have felt physical, emotional, and spiritual benefits of belly dance and love to talk about it. I'm afraid I have bored many friends and family talking about belly dance, but I just can't help it. It really has been transformational in my life. I've never been much of an athlete and never relished exercise, but I can honestly say I live for belly dance. It can really get me through a tough day or week if I know that belly dance is the reward waiting for me at the end. The last couple of years have been difficult for me in my personal and professional life, and belly dance has been one rock for me to go back to again and again. The music, the moves, the energy of the other dancers, and the kind teachings of the instructors all lift my spirits and I leave class realizing how wonderful my life is after all. I am middle-aged and on several occasions I have gone to belly dance class feeling stiff and sore from some other form of exercise. But I have always left with my muscles feeling fully restored and my body re-energized. One time I took a yoga class in a very hot room and I overstretched my muscles intensely. I was in severe pain for several days. I was considering skipping my Saturday belly dance class because I was so miserable, but I decided to go. It was like a miracle. Within minutes, all my pain was gone and forgotten. Through belly dance, I have been inspired to learn something about Middle Eastern culture. I find the study of dance and culture fascinating as it reveals interesting insights into life. And usually makes me realize how similar we are all around the world, rather than how different. It has made me feel more similar to rather than different from Arab women, and inspires me to learn more about their culture. What a refreshing way to look at Middle Eastern culture in this post-9-11 world. I've also gained deep appreciation for the complexity and beauty of Middle Eastern music, Something I would have completely missed had I not discovered belly dance. Middle Eastern music really grooves your body. I hope you keep producing shimmy cast, Sheila. Well, Sheila, I'd like to thank you for your email and the, all those great answers to our questions. And I agree with everything you said in your email. It was just fantastic. Um. One thing I want to advise you and all of our listeners about, as I've spoken before, I have arthritis, and it's hereditary in my family, and mostly it affects my lower back. So I totally understood what you were saying about aerobics, Sheila. And I wanted to recommend to all of you, if you have problems with your lower back and you're looking for good exercise options, there is a series of videos and dvds by a lady called Callan pickney i think is how you say her name um i'll put all this information on the website and um it's called callanetics it's uh, kind of named after her and this woman if i if i'm remembering correctly she has scoliosis of the spine and she, this is a form of exor- a series of exercise videos that she has made, and all of the exercises are designed to protect the back. And they're really great, and they've helped me a lot, so I'm going to pass that on to you guys and recommend those. So next, we have answers to the question, What do you like to call this dance form?" and Arabella from Vermont says I like to call it earth dance, though I usually call it belly dance because that's how most people know it. I like earth dance because it emphasizes the connection between the dance and the earth and the connection between our species and the earth. I also think the rhythms of the music we dance to come from the earth. I guess I need to explain what I mean by that. I think the rhythm and the dance moves are primal and touch a deeply human part of us. At this point I will kind of answer last week's question too and say that learning and practicing earth dance has made me feel a hundred percent good about being female for the first time in my 49 years. I think awakening this earth connection within me is a key part of that. I'd like to say thank you Arabella, for that answer I I haven't heard that many people call it earth dance, but I I understand your points totally and think that that is possibly a valid option of um, something somehow to refer to this form of dance. That's one reason why I pose this question because I always get caught up in what to call it. I mean, if I call it Middle Eastern dance or Oriental dance or try to cover all the regions that this dance is alive in and somehow people just kind of look at you and they're like I don't know what you're talking about but then you say I'm a belly dancer and they're like oh belly dance okay I gotcha although a lot of times they don't have the real connotation of it but I'd like to say thank you for that answer Arabella this next answer comes from B for Hana in England Hi Anala and everyone. My favorite term for what I do is oriental dance. That's mainly because it's the English translation for what Middle Eastern people would call the sort of dance I do. However, I've never had any problem calling what I do belly dance as a starting point. It's the easiest quote shorthand word to explain what I do. If I'm talking to someone new about my dance life It's more than just a hobby. I'll use the word belly dance. Once I've hooked them into the conversation, then I can explain it a bit more and do a bit more educating. That's when I start to refer to it as Oriental dance or Middle Eastern dance. I teach for a belly dance holiday, and my course runs at the same time as a course slash holiday taught by my friend who calls what she does Rock Sharky. Our dance styles are a little different in that she focuses on the social side of the dance, whereas I focus more on the performance element. But there is very little fundamental difference between what we do. However, my holiday consistently has more people signing up for it. So I think commercially, I'd be foolish if I refused to use the common usage name. I should add that in the UK, the term rocks sharky has come to mean a specific style of dance created by a teacher, Zoraya Hilla, and her admirers. It's not a style that is universally admired, though, and despite a number of different teachers trying to reclaim the name Rock Sharky, it still remains a byword for that particular style. Thanks be for that answer, and thanks to everyone for writing in with your answers to the question of the week. It's been really fun reading them and sharing them with the other listeners. And now the news. So this is a bit of news that's not actually performances, but it's still a fantastic place to put this in news. There is now a podcast of belly dance music. That's right, rocks radio that I've been telling you about for weeks. Rocks radio is up. First episode is up. You can go get it at R-A-Q-S R-A-D-I-O. Blogspot dot That's rocksradio.com. Arabella in Vermont produces this show, and she is getting it up and getting it going, and will soon have it available on iTunes. And I've listened to the first episode, and it rocks. See, that stupid little pun there thrown in for y'all. But seriously, it's a really good show. It's a lot of fun. She puts together a really great lineup. She starts out with music that's good to do warm-ups to, Then uh, some improvisational stuff, and um, she ends with cool-down music. She had a great selection of traditional music thrown in with some fusion, more kind of techno, new-age-sounding stuff. It was fabulous. I loved it. Go check it out. It was everything I'd hoped for. And I want you all to, to share in the good fun of listening to awesome belly dance music. Okay, now into serious mode and on to the rest of the regular news. June 17th, a day of workshops with Cynthia Delaney in New South Wales, Australia. June 17th, Hawthorne's Hofla and Showcase in Kindlington, Oxen. And B. Farhana, who I read an answer to earlier, apparently she choreographed some of the pieces that are going to be performed at this, so... If you're in that area, you know who choreographed it now if you go to the show. June 18th, Southside Market Day and Concert in New South Wales, Australia. June 19th through the 26th, the Nile Group Workshops in Cairo, Egypt. June 21st through July 10th, Egypt Unveiled Tour. This is a travel tour through Egypt and Dubai. It looks like it's leaving from Sydney, Australia, and there are only a few spots left. June 22nd through July 8th, the Scheherazade School of Middle Eastern Dance is sponsoring various study tour packages in Egypt, including attending the Ahlem Wasahelen Dance Festival. June 23rd through 25th, concerts and workshops by Haseem and Serena Ramsey in Cardiff, Wales. June 25th, Belly Dance for Life, Meet the Teachers Workshop, presented by U C Bannon. June 30th, Underbelly presents Sulk at the Salon in Fitzroy, Victoria, Australia. June 30th, the Gypsy Fire Belly Dancers of Tulsa will be performing at the River's Edge Cafe. June 30th, Egyptian Moonlight Oriental Show at the UCL Bloomsbury Theatre in London, England. This has been the Shimmy Cast News for this week, and as always, you can find more information about all of these events on our website. We haven't had any emails or feedback to go in our feedback section of the podcast this week, and that's okay. Uh, Just remember you can send us feedback at shimmycast at gmail.com or on our forum at shimmycast.blogspot.com. And feel free to vote for us on Podcast Alley or Podcast Pickle and leave reviews on iTunes also don't forget to sign up on our frapper map on the website it's been really fun seeing where all in the world everyone lives who listens to the show so next we have kind of a long article but chock full of good information Uh, this is an article Again, it's a portion of a longer article that I wrote called Nearly Everything You Need to Know About Props. This particular section, uh, I wrote about swords and dancing with swords. So sit back, relax, snuggle in, because like I said, there. this is kind of a long article, but there's some really important information in here that I hope you all enjoy and can use. Nearly Everything You Need to Know About Swords by Anala Rabari In Arabic, sword dancing is called raks al literally sword dance. It can be a powerfully exciting part of a performance. In most Western countries, sword performance is typically a balancing act where the sword is balanced on various parts of the body, including the head, hip, or thigh. I want to take the time to caution you all about sword dancing. Even though these swords are not made to function as weapons, they can still be dangerous, so exercise caution when it comes to sword work. And you'll probably hear that a number of times throughout this article but it bears repeating. Selecting a sword. If you are new to sword balancing you might think that it is best to start with a lighter sword but this would be a mistake. It would be far better for you to start with a heavier sword so that you can condition your muscles to carry a good weight from the beginning. Also Heavier swords tend to stay in place more easily than lighter ones. Now don't be fooled. Even though heavier swords stay in place better, they can still be just as dangerous as lighter swords if you are outside in a wind. Another aspect of this sword to consider is the curve of the blade. Swords with slightly curved blades, like sabers or scimitars, will be easier to balance than swords with straighter blades. On average, most swords are around three to four and a half pounds in weight and three feet three inches long. Dancing swords are especially made for dancing. They are weighted and balanced just right because they are made for this specific function. Do not try to use a sword that you happen to run across in an antique store unless you can tell it's a dancing sword. The majority of the time these swords will probably be old military swords, ceremonial swords from fraternal organizations or martial arts swords and they just won't work for what you're trying to do. You will do better to go to a reputable dance vendor to buy your sword. Always try to buy a sword in person so that you can inspect it yourself. When buying a sword try balancing it on the palm of your hand first. This way you can see that it will balance properly. You want it to stabilize in a completely vertical position. It should not lean to any side. If you cannot get it to balance on your hand, do not buy it. Likewise, if the merchant or any friends who are with you at the time cannot get the sword to balance while you stand there, then you probably won't be able to fix it somehow after you get it home so that it will balance. You do not necessarily need a scabber for dancing or storage to go with your sword. Not all swords are sold with scabbers. In fact, I don't even think scabbers are made for scimitars or other swords with curved blades. However, if you do have a sword with a scabbard, you can make unsheathing it as part of your routine. I would also like to caution you about chrome swords. Chrome swords look great, however chrome is slippery, so these swords are more likely to slip on hair or fabric. Tips for using a sword. Dancing with a sword requires your full attention. Never perform or practice sword dancing when you have a hangover or lack sleep. Balancing sharp, heavy objects can be dangerous. You need to be alert. Always remember that even though these swords are made with dull blades, they are still weapons. Sometimes the best thing you can do if you are losing your sword is to hop out of the way of its fall. It's better to get out of the way than risk cuts, sprained wrists, broken toes, or worse. When using your sword always hold it by the hilt with the hand you write with. This is referred to as your dominant hand. You should do this because it will enable you to have more control over your sword. Your other hand should be in what many refer to as, quote, danger hand poses. This helps convey to the audience the sense of danger, mystery, and drama that you want them to have as you dance with the sword. As a showmanship tip, you should always treat your sword as a deadly weapon. Never grab the blade forcefully or full-handedly. In other words, never wrap your hand all the way around the blade. Remember your danger hands. Handling your sword improperly will just pull the audience out of this mood that you are trying to create because they will know there is no real danger. The biggest hurdle to a sword dance is the sword slipping. So you must think through the surfaces that you are going to try to balance your sword on. If you are going to balance your sword on your head, beware that clean hair is more slipperier than hair that has not been recently washed. There are a few ways to get around this. You can use a little hairspray on your head where your sword rests. You will want to do this before you perform because this will make the hair sticky and the sword will be less likely to slip. If you are more of a traditional or tribal style dancer, you have the added advantage of using headscarves and or turbans that can also help keep the sword in place. Although again, you have to be cautious because if your headdress is not anchored properly, it will slip and the sword will go with it. If you decide to try a headdress, use a cloth one instead of ones that are made of chains or coins. When balancing the sword on other parts of your body, you will need to consider costume concerns. Is your costume made of some material that is really slick? If so, you will probably have problems with slipping. Does the costume have a lot of trim, beads, fringe, or coins? at the place where you're going to try to balance it? If so, again, you may run into problems of the sword not being in a secure place. Always practice in your costume with your sword before you go to perform. If you still have problems with your sword slipping, try rubbing an inexpensive votive candle or beeswax on the balancing surface. Again, this will cause a more textured contact point that will help prevent slipping. Keep the candle or beeswax in your dance supplies or in your sword bag so you'll never be without them. Think twice, or even three or four times before agreeing to do a sword routine outside. Even if your sword is the heaviest one in the world and there's just a teeny tiny breeze, your sword can still be thrown off balance. If you're dancing outdoors give serious consideration to using a headdress. If you're traveling via air to a performance, you cannot carry your sword on board the plane. The airlines just frown upon that for some reason. I don't know. Place your sword in a rifle case to protect it as you will have to check it with the rest of your luggage. You may even want to investigate having it shipped to your destination rather than taking it on the plane at all. Consider making or buying a cloth carrying case with the shoulder and hand straps for for transporting your sword. You should put extra padding at the end where the point will be for protection. You may also want to put small pockets on the outside for keys Zills and other paraphernalia. All this will leave your hands free to open doors, pass out business cards, or even sign some autographs. If your sword does not have a scabbard, consider putting a cork at the point so you won't accidentally poke someone while you are carrying it. Before dancing with your sword, you should really examine the construction of it pay particular attention to how the hilt and the blade are attached. Some swords are one entire piece of metal that has been shaped into a sword. However, other swords are two separate pieces, one the hilt and the other the blade. If yours is two pieces, make sure that they are attached securely. If your sword has a knob or bolt at the hilt that piece can often screw off. To help secure this fit you can get O-rings from the plumbing department of a hardware store. You do not want to dance with a sword when it has loose fittings. If you are having trouble balancing your sword and it is the kind where the hilt can be screwed off, you can try turning the hilt the other way on the blade. Often, this will tweak the balance of the sword in your favor. However, I find that this makes the sword difficult to handle when you are not balancing it because the handle is now on backwards. So, you've finally got the sword up on your head, and it's not slipping, but it's starting to rotate on your head. Well, obviously, you don't want that to happen. There are two tricks you can try in this case. First, the less obvious is to only move your eyes so that you are looking at the tip of your sword. Do not move your whole head or tilt your chin. This could cause the sword to slip off entirely. If your sword does not stop rotating with this trick, then move on to the next trick, which is to very carefully get your dominant hand behind the hilt of your sword and hold your hand up in a stop-in-the-name-of-love pose. The sword will softly bump into your hand, and its movement will stop. Then you can gracefully move your hand back down away from the sword. One thing that dancers often do not think about is how the sword will affect the rest of the body while you are dancing with it. You know all of those beautiful poses you do with your arms extended in the air above your head? Well, you can't do those the same way with a sword on your head. When the sword is on your head, you must carry your arms in a more forward position to avoid your arms getting in the space of your sword and accidentally hitting it and knocking it off. If you are daring, you can dress your sword up a little by tying a tassel to the hilt. There is an advantage and a disadvantage to this. The disadvantage is that the tassel might affect the way your sword is balanced. So you might have to play around with the weight of the tassel you use. The advantage is that you can use the tassel as an indicator to you of what your sword is doing especially if it is on your head where you cannot see it. You can feel if the tassel is hitting you toward the front of your shoulder or the back of your shoulder, so you know if your sword is starting to rotate any. If the tassel suddenly hits you lower on the shoulder than it normally does, then you know that your sword is slipping down. You can also change the color of the tassel to better fit your costume. So you're lucky enough to go to a two hour sword workshop. You start out all alert and excited, ready to go. Then you dance through the first hour. You find yourself getting a little tired and your neck is killing you. At this point, you might try practicing the balancing tricks with a scabbard, which is lighter weight. If you do not have a scabbard, take a cane or a lighter weight book to use when you get tired. We don't want any accidents happening at sword workshops. (laughs) So now, caring and storage for your sword. The biggest issue of care for a sword is yucky rust. The good thing is that rust is easily prevented and controlled. To prevent rusting, keep your sword in places that water cannot get to it. Also, always keep the sword coated with a thin layer of rust-resistant oil. You can pick this up from any knife store or hunting supply company. You don't need to get a big bottle of it either, as the little goes a long way. If your sword does rust, a little brass polish can restore the shine. Never allow audience members to hold or touch your sword. For one, if you have made any alterations to your sword, they may see them and think that's the, quote, trick to sword dance. When in actuality, these things only help a little. The second, and more important reason, is that you do not want to open yourself up to any liabilities. If a child just so happens to get a hold of your sword and an accident follows, you do not want to have to deal with angry parents. As far as storage aspects, swords are one of the easier props to deal with because they are made of metal, which is a medium that does not require a lot of specific care. Your sword can be stored either laying flat in its scabbard or just on a shelf. If you do not have a scabbard, you may want to line your shelf somehow so that the sword won't scratch the shelf. If you do not have shelf space, you could hang it from a hook by its hilt. You may consider patting the hook, so the hilt does not get scratched. Or you can set up a system of hooks so that your sword can be hung parallel to the floor. So I hope you all enjoyed that information about swords and find it useful in your dancing. And now we've come to the end of another episode And time for next week's question of the week. And this uh, next question is going to be, what is your favorite dance move and why? I think it's going to be really fun to share answers and kind of discuss this amongst fellow dancers. To answer, you can send an email to shimmycast at gmail.com or you can go to our forum board at shimmycast.blogspot.com or on our website, you can click on the link to send us an audio. And finally, it's time for the music pick of the week. This week's song is Taksim from the album Star of the Sea by Stella Mara. I hope you enjoy the song, and until next week, this is Anala Rabari saying Shimmy On. For listening to ShimmyCast. You can leave us feedback at shimmycast at gmail.com and be sure to visit our website and forum at www.shimmycast.blogspot.com. Remember, the opinions expressed are those of the hosts and the podcast crew. Thanks again.